0: Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question, so what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men, and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big, and ultimately, how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Elka Whalen, who is known as Elka Graham during her swimming career, reached world number one in 200-metre freestyle. She attended two Olympic Games as well as Commonwealth Games and World Championships in her seven-year career. She was also part of that medley relay team, who were disqualified in 2001 for jumping in the pool too early... And in her positive note says that she's one of the very few people that was a world champion for all of 30 seconds. Married to water polo Olympic champion Thomas Whalen, Together they have three kids under the age of six and another bub on the way. Elka talks about her career in the media, her personal shift in identity throughout her life and her discovering who she really is, how important her own non-negotiables are and how faith has been a guiding principle in pretty much everything that she does so sit back and soak up this delightful and insightful conversation with Elka Whalen. Elka, welcome to the recording studio. How are you? Thank you. I'm great, thanks. Look, you've had such a, an amazing varied career in the swimming pool. Has there been a
1: moment that's kind of stood out for you from your swimming career? It's funny, I often get asked that and it's it's probably not the moments everyone expects it to be. You know, the standing on the dais or the, you know, the, the big famous as everybody knew we got disqualified in Japan in 2001 for um, diving in too early when we won and broke the world record. It was actually the first team I ever made and that was the Sydney 2000 Olympic team. So to hear my name caught up as an 18-year-old at Homebush. they did it in alphabetical order. So being Elka Graham, you know, I was waiting Waiting and just that moment, you know, and I just remember hearing it echoing at, at Homebush Pool, thinking, "My goodness, I'm on a team with 46 members of a of a country that was about 21 million at that stage in 2000." So um, that stands out the most, and and that's how my career started. Did you expect to hear your name, or was that was that? anticipation? Was it a surprise oh, when you did hear it? Well, you know the criteria, so you know straight away if you're in top four that you're definitely chosen or top two in an individual event. So I knew that I was I was part of the team, but you know, there's still that sense of, well, it's not official until they say your name. So um, that was just such a surreal moment, you know, walking up and, and meeting like a hero like Kieran Perkins for the first time or rooming with Susie O'Neill and you're like, wow, like I've I've actually made it. All my hard work has paid off. So um that was wonderful and to see my parents in the crowd was it always swimming were you always interested in swimming was that a big part of
0: you know growing up as a child
1: um, I actually grew up, yes, yeah, so Northern Beaches, and that's where it all started for me. in one of four. And so I just tagged along with my brother and sister. So at the age of four, I, I went down to Manly Swimming Centre, our local pool, and my parents said, look, she's here. We've, you know, had another younger sister as well. Can we just, you know, throw them into squad? And he said, no, she's too young. But at the age of four, I, I jumped in and I swam 400 metres, eight laps, and the coach said, okay. 400 <laughs> metres? That's she can insane. start. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. Did it just come naturally? It, just, you know, there's something out you find in life that you just, you don't need to think of, you don't need to do, you can just close your eyes and and you can do it. And that's how I've always felt with swimming. I've just dived in. It is, I find, the most silent place in the world to be. You can scream and nobody can hear you. You can sing and nobody can hear you. Um, And just like breathing and walking that we take for granted and we can, we can all do. That's how I've always felt with swimming. So... I have always been a water baby and uh, I still even remember at the age of nine getting out for show and tell. We remember that, all of us now, yeah. both you and I with yeah. our children, we were discussing and um, you you get up and you talk about news of the day and I said at the age of nine that I was going to the Olympics apparently for swimming and then I was getting out and I was quickly wiping myself off and running across to the athletics field in competing <laughs> in athletics. So... I I guess I already knew at the age of nine intrinsically that I, I wanted to do something really special. And I, I really am a big believer that you are you're definitely born with a desire. And you we are all born with dreams in our hearts. It's 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 up to us and, and who we've got around us whether we fulfill them or not. And
0: what was the drive behind? Because definitely we have these dreams and desires and we, we hear and I think probably most of our listeners have you know had that childhood kind of, this is what I'm gonna do. There's also a very big gap between that and and actually achieving it. So for you, what was the drive to now put in the hard work that sits behind
1: having your name called out to to go to an Olympic game? It is, isn't it? It's the it's the reality, isn't it? Well, I often say, and I obviously do a lot of speaking as well. That you know, we've got we've got young children, as you and I both do. Um, you just said, you know, you're you're nine and seven. We're six, nearly five, three, and and obviously one on the way. And they will come up to us now, all that age, and mum, you know. I'm going to be an astronaut. you know. I'm like, yes, son, you go for it. You can do whatever you want to do. Your girl will come up, tell you she wants to be a fairy. Go, Great. And so they will tell us this at 5, at 7, at 9, at 11, Somewhere along the line, it's not them that changes. Often I find the parents do. So at 15, let's say you're a little girl or a teenager at that stage will come up and say, Mom, you know, I still want to be a fairy. And then for some reason at 15, that father or mother will say, oh, don't be silly, you can't, you can't be a fairy. It's like, what's changed? At five, you thought it was cute. At nine, you thought it was cute. So all of a sudden, sometimes we don't realize that I often say that the, the most dangerous yet the most powerful tool that we will ever have in our entire life is our tongue. It has the ability to speak life over women. It has the ability to speak life over children, husbands, spouses, everyone. It also has the ability to tear them down. So my, my dad and mum were wonderful like that. They would tell me all the time that that I was the fastest in the world. Even when I wasn't, I was far from it. And sometimes it used to bug me. My dad would actually walk in at night, normally like at midnight, I'd be fast asleep. He'd come in and go, Elka Graham you're the fastest 200-meter freestyler in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and i to go back to sleep, it did. Dad. It used to annoy me. It bugged me so much. I bet. But inside, I loved that he believed that. And the how's the crazy thing? What do you think I'm saying to our, our little exactly six-year-old now? Exactly <laughs> Well, I'm not saying she's the fastest room, I just go in and I go. You're the best girl in the world, Nevada. I'm like, you're my best friend. You know, the same with both our boys. And saying you make sure that you call mommy every day, even when you're married. Like it's like I'm brainwashing <laughs> them now, planting because- it in exactly. <laughs> so um, I definitely think that reality. To answer your question is is having the right people around you, speaking life over the situation, and and declaring it because as we know, the biggest dream killer, the biggest fear killer is doubt and that stops, so many of us all the time.
0: And you're so right. We look to the eyes of the people around us and if they've got a slight inkling of doubt, it just feeds that internal. So was your parents doing the same with your siblings? Because you're one of six, is uh, that right? well, Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. six
1: of us and, and four siblings, yeah. And here's the funny thing. I was actually the least talented. Um, my younger sister was extremely talented, already winning national medals at the age of eight and just was very decisive in, this isn't for me. And I think that really hurt my parents. They're like, but you're, you're number but as we've also got to remember as well, we can't live our dreams as through through parents. You live a dream based on what a child wants to be and, and what you know what we now as adults want to be. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is often in life, you know, now as you grow up as women and you go in for that pay rise, or you you walk in and you say, This is my dream, this is my vision, this is why I think I want, you know, this is why I believe I, I can get this job promotion. As soon as someone who might just have a different title, a different status to you might say, No, Ali, you know, what are you, what are you doing thinking of writing a book? Suddenly I put a seed of doubt in you. And, but what, why is it? Why have I stopped you if that's in your heart? And I think, you know, I don't think God puts dreams inside your heart to tease you, he puts them in there to, to absolutely ignite you with passion. So, what would you say? Because I, it's true, and we do have that, and, and we can
0: kind of hold the mirror up and go, "Oh, yeah, actually, when when have we done that?" Yeah. Whether even if it's out of, it comes from a place of love, or it comes from a place of wanting to support people, but also wanting to be a bit realistic about what's what's possible, so that we don't then have to pick up the pieces of <laughs> a dream that didn't quite happen. Uh, but what would be your suggestion to people who maybe? do hear that doubt from others, how do we respond to that? How have you responded to oh, that, I guess? And
1: how many doubts have I had? Like a million. We all do. Let's be honest. I've never met anybody who says they've never had a doubt. And if they haven't, then they're either telling a big lie or they're massively egocentrical. And, you know, I wonder how many friends and and great people they've got around in their life. It's it's those moments in the darkness when you're feeling overwhelmed and you are completely anxious and and it's just, everything just seems too much. And that's when a lot of people just make that decision in, in a bad moment of, I can't do this. Whereas I always say like, your toughest times will always come at night. And that's when I find all my fears and my anxiety and my, what am I doing trying to take on all of this? And courage comes with the sun. It really, really does. And it's sometimes, you know, that's where a male voice is really great or a really practical, realistic female is great. And you go, well, hold on. All right, Ali, what's, what's the problem? Yeah, Elka, what's the problem? You just go, go to bed, have a sleep. <laughs> yes, or break it down. You're like, yeah. okay, well, I'm trying to get this book out. I'm working on this podcast. I'm setting up this platform. You're like, okay, great. So let's just tackle one thing at a time. It's almost that going back to the basics now of your left foot goes in front of your right and then your right foot goes in front of your left. And I often think that when I'm running kills and you know you're like, <gasps> as you're running and you're like, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to get the whole way around and you go, just put one foot in front of the other. And then the next and the next. And before you know it, you've run an extra few kilometres. It's, it is those moments when you want to give up where I think it is just imperative to, to have those right women and those right voices around you and, and go right back to the beginning. Why have I started this? What's my purpose? And nothing easy is going to come from a comfort zone talk to the most successful i mean that's another story in itself how do you define success the most successful entrepreneurial business women in the world and none of them have said to you oh yeah it's been like climbing a mountain it's been so easy <laughs> no one has they've told you their failures and and women are wanting to see that more gone are the 90s and the early 2000s where you're getting motivational speakers come up and go look at me i'm so great this is what i've achieved whereas when I get up now, yeah, I might touch for two seconds on on an Olympic journey. People want to know what your struggles are and how you deal with it. And and one great lingo I have is how to do the juggle without the struggle. How how do we do life the best way that we can? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's uh, it is that juggle and that that space and place. And um, I think you know, coming back even to your your swimming career, and uh, it's so interesting that that, you know, your sister was given the same platform, had the same kind of talents, the same capabilities, and and yet it wasn't something that, you know, she was passionate about by the sounds of it in terms of this is, this is not really kind of me. And I think what it speaks, and probably for our listeners, is to go just because you've got a skill and a talent, if it's not lighting you up, then it's okay to say no. Yeah, beautifully put. And so for you, was that actually, um, was it then the combination of those two,
1: that there was a talent and a drive? Yeah. I mean, isn't isn't that one of the hardest things to see when you, <clears throat> pardon me, when you see a, a woman or a man with such talent and they just look at you and they're like, yeah, but it's not my thing. And you might be doing it. And that, like, you come know, on. And they can, exactly. And they could do it 20 <laughs> yes. times better. But then, you know, it's like if I, if I offered you $10 million now to go train for the Olympics, you'd probably take it because you'd be like 10 million, you know, great. But would you have the passion and would you go as far as you possibly could? Probably not because you're doing it for the wrong incentives. Um, It's what I think about people that have a voice and who can sing because I can't. Oh oh my gosh, same. I mean, in the shower and underneath the water, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and they're just, it's just incredible. And something inside them just absolutely lights up. I... I've just, I've just always loved swimming and I I remember my coach saying to me, you know, there are, there are people that are hard workers that will get to the top because they really want it and then you've got talent and then you've got naturally talented and then you have gifted. And if you have a gifted person in whatever skill or job or purpose, they know what they want to do and they work hard at it and on top of that they're gifted, they are going to soar above so many other people. I've always been, Ali, stats related. So when I heard that Sydney 2000 was, was announced, I just remember sitting down and realising, okay, well, at the time there was nearly 21 million people in Australia that every four years 506 Australians get chosen for an Olympic Games, 10,000 of the world's best athletes come together, and 46 members from Australia alone get chosen to make an Olympic swim team. Out of that, 3% of a nation make a national team and 009 stand up on a dice. And I thought... I wanted to be part of that stat. (laughs) Give me that stat. Yeah, Yeah, I just, um, the Olympics, see, that just ignited me. It didn't ignite my sister, but she's doing amazing things in her talents and gifts as well, and that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Finding your talent and gift and then going with it. Yeah. What's it like in an Olympic village? It's it's amazing. It's uh it's like it's almost like a Disneyland for anyone that's been to Disneyland or and if you haven't then you you would have you would have seen a thousand pictures and videos. It's you walk in and you know everything's free and you know it's it's certainly not five star but you're going in and you're actually realizing, oh my gosh, you know, Roger Federer just walked past me or the American dream team just walked past me or there's that world famous judo wrestler that nobody knows or the boxers who have eaten an apple and then are skipping for half an hour because they have to weigh in the next day and they have to sweat it (laughs) off and you think... Anytime you think your sport is tough, there's, you there's know, someone else doing it tougher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing. And everybody is coming together to to grab only a certain amount of gold medals, the silver and bronze, and not everyone's going to get one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so your swimming career's had um, plenty of highs and a few interesting moments along the way. Yeah. You mentioned before the 2001 uh, that's kind of gone down in folklore, where you were on the relay team that won the world championship
1: and uh, were known as the team that jumped in the pool. Tell me me a bit about that. Well, see, that was a really great experience because uh, that's there's a defining moment in life that, that we will all have. And I think you have two choices in life. You you know, we're sitting here now, we've both got great cups of water here and I could just knock over this water jug now and we could do two things. We could act on it or react on it. React would be, oh my goodness, like, look at what's happened here. This is soaked. Or acting is like, oh, shivers, that's a shame. We'll quickly wipe it up. Let's keep moving forward. So in that moment, I mean, it was it was crazy. We had over 8,000 letters to myself and Gian Rooney, Petria Thomas, Linda McKenzie, all four of us telling us you know that we were still the best in the world. Um, it was amazing. You'd won. We'd, you'd won. Won. we'd won. We'd won the four. Yeah, we'd won the but, four by two. I'd, I'd started off the real I'd set the fastest time in the world. So not only was that a personal achievement for me individually, but also as a team, it was incredible. Duncan Armstrong is interviewing us. I'm the first to be interviewed, and and as I'm talking, you hear this: the, disqual- the Australians are being disqualified, and we were like, "What?" You know, choice of vocabulary was perfect at that time because I think a lot of <laughs> other words could have come out. Out. And um, it was ridiculous because, you know, four of us had jumped in 0.09, which is faster than blinking your eyes too early. From the uh, There's a rule in swimming that you cannot jump in the water until all teams have finished swimming. And so it was absolutely crazy. But what was amazing about that was all these thousands of letters, you know, even uh, Prime Minister at the time, John Howard, was incredible. There was this one letter, Ali, that said, um, I still remember it said, you are a disgrace to the nation. Um, you all need to to give up swimming. Um, you've shamed your country. It was this terrible, seething, scathing letter of just how pathetic we were. And I remember one of the girls in the team, um, she really broke down and cried. And I took that piece of paper home and I thought, how, how do I want to deal with this? And I blew it up to the size of my ceiling in my bedroom and I used it as motivation and I stuck it on my ceiling so that every morning for the next four years leading up to the next Olympics when I woke up and it was raining, we trained in an outdoor pool or it was freezing or cold or I was sore and I didn't want to train, I'd just look at that and go, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to react to that. I'm going to act on it. Thank you. Because you've actually motivated me and you might have come out to actually tear us down, but- from your letter, I'm just gonna prove you wrong and just train harder and faster and be better. So that was a moment and I think we all have life moments, whether it's not as an extreme as the world champs or an Olympics, but perhaps marriage is a really difficult time, perhaps you're finding mothering a really good hard time, or perhaps there's this moment where you you don't know what your identity is. And I think they they are the moments where you have to Keep moving forward as hard as it is and have those right people around you and choose to act on the situation rather than react and fall into a heap day after day after day. And, and and we all will. At some point, we all will fall into a heap like, you know, what woman doesn't cry? I do lots. Mm. But it's then like, okay, courage comes with the sun. What a gift and a blessing it is to wake up the next day and to be able to stand on our feet and have lungs to be able to breathe clean air and, and live another great day. What a phenomenal response. To that <laughs> like
0: that. I'm not sure if I would be blowing up letters <laughs> and putting them on my ceiling. but I, I really wish me. I knew who this
1: person was because yeah. I actually want to thank them and it would probably infuriate, <laughs> them, infuriate them more. Another Tonight. really standout point from that was all the teams, we stayed together at the same hotel. When we came in, we had drug tests, we had press conferences, so we were walking in tired, deflated, defeated, in shock, upset at 2am in the morning and every single person in that food court in the hotel, from our competitors to different countries, all stood up silently when we were there and gave a sustaining ovation. I mean, just saying that yeah, now tingles. makes me tingles. Yeah. That was more than any medal could be seen on TV. And I often find they're the real life moments, the tough grinding moments, like of you starting this incredible podcast series with amazing women and the dream that you've had of, you know, releasing a book. No one has seen the hard work that you are putting into, mm. you know, standing, standing out, standing up, you know, going for it of the, the tough moments that you've gone, I can't do this. And, they, you know, how many yeah. have there been for you? Yeah, absolutely. A ton. And when I think of even, you know, the listeners, it's
0: it's that hard work that's done in the quiet zone. It's the hard work that... Um, and, you know, what I love, and, and, you know, I did get goosebumps thinking of, you know, that, that food court. But I imagine they're the people who they've been in the trenches as well in their own sport, in their own way, and can't help but go, yeah, but for... That could have been me. It could have been any of us. It could have been any of us at any point in time. And it's
1: it's how you flip it around as well. Like I often... People often want to talk about that story. And I said, Well, I look at it in a different way. I think a great experience. I'm one of four women in the world that has been a world record holder and a world championship medalist for 30 seconds. (laughs) Nobody else, you know, so that's how we just flipped it. And I thought, Well, there you go. I'm one of four and super special and super exciting. Um, And, you know, again, it's just how you see everything. Everyone always says you have the choice for the glass to be half empty or half full. I'm like, Why can't it be overflowing? Can't it be abundantly overflowing? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm this annoying, upbeat, happy, positive, excited (laughs) person all the time. Most of the time I am. But also, you know what, why why can't we just keep speaking the best over each other? I feel that particularly as women and our country as well, we just, we raise, we lift, we lift you up And this incredible book you're doing, you know, stand out, you're amazing, you get all this huge success, everyone's following you and then for some reason you get just a little bit too good and you, you're seen on the paper a little bit too much and you're getting way too much traction and sponsors and all of a sudden it's like, do you know what, I don't like her hair or I don't like her watch or now now let's start pulling her it down. It's like, no. What is with our tall poppy syndrome where you look at the Americans, remember seeing Michael Phelps in the crowd and, you know, 28 gold medals, my goodness. But even when he'd made his fifth gold medal, he was standing, we were next to them. He was standing with the American team. They were cheering. They were championing him on and he was there going, I am the best. And they were all going back to him. Yes, you are. Whereas in Australia, Imagine if you stood up, you know, and you've got a bestseller with your book and and you said that, all these girls would go, oh, be quiet, you know, yeah, instead of going, please. oh my gosh, this is the inspiration I got from your book. This is what I, I, I discerned from your podcast and just lifting you up. I want to be around you more.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like the exposure to to other cultures, seeing how they do it as well, also kind of drives and how can we challenge how we do that tall popping mm. is so endemic in in what we in what we do and uh, I want to ask you some questions a bit later on about how we keep standing out and stepping up even amongst that that kind of busyness so swimming career you retired in am I getting it right 2006 yes correct what was the decision behind retirement
1: I retired in 2006. I still remember the day, May 16th. Um, There were three things that I really wanted to achieve in my swimming career, and that was to and obtain Olympic medal, become a world record holder, and um, and and win a world championship medal. And it didn't matter if that took me 30 years, 20 years. Um, In this case, it took me seven years, and it took me seven years. And I was really, I was complete, and I was ready. and the thought process behind that that no one saw was very long and very drawn out. There they were lots of tears, moments, diary entries, writing, talking to uh, my, my boyfriend, which became my fiancé, which is now my incredible husband, about it. And I remember one time sitting on a beach in Italy. We were living there for four years. I met my husband at the Olympics. He's a very successful water polo player and, and got a contract over there. And I remember just hearing this really beautiful quiet voice, um, big believer of the man above. And he said to me, God said to me, Elka, you are more than the black line. Remember that. And that was a really defining moment for me. Uh, And it it really, it put everything into purpose and to perspective as well. And I thought, yeah, I am. It's pool, it's the water, it is that black line, that dreaded black line, all swimmers talk about. And I I realised what a What a great seven years to be gifted a talent that I got to not only meet my husband at the Olympics but swim, go above and beyond what I imagined, Um, bring joy to people and my parents, my family, the country. And uh, I just knew I was ready for something else and I I feel very humbled that it set me up now for for the platform of where I am now. Did you have to
0: explore who you were, because I know that can be a commonality amongst um, particularly elite sports people and, and anyone really in the work that we do, our identity is so caught up in, in what we do. Uh, so if that's not who you are anymore, we need to kind of then expand and mm. explore that identity. Mm. Did you have a glimmer of
1: what that might be at that point? That's a, I mean, that's a huge question. I think that's a, an ever-evolving question for everyone. Who are you? And I think that's where some of the biggest mistakes are made in life by, by men and women because that we, we don't know who we are. And I think I don't think I've ever met a person or an honest person who've, who've known who they are from get-go from day one because we can disguise it very well by being decisive or being opinionated or just, you know, single-minded, single-focused but I think they're the real moments that make you uncovered and raw and vulnerable and fragile, which is what women want to hear. What's that moment like? How do you deal with it? How do you discover it? How do you walk through it and come out of it? How do you become unstuck? Mm. So what was your first step? For me, it actually happened in 2012. So I'd finished. Well, Well, I'd had a, our second. We've had um, three children under five. We just had our second. They were a year apart. Life was great. Um, Madly in love with my husband, still am. And we were walking around Centennial Park and we were actually on our way to church. And I just remember breaking down and crying. And Thomas said, "What? what's wrong? And I just looked at him and I said, I don't know who I am anymore. And it was, I was, I think I'd felt it building. I just didn't. Have the guts, you know, shame on me for not knowing. He's, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I know I'm a mom, like, I feel like I'm a milking cow at the moment. It's not hormones <laughs> talking. I don't have antenatal depression. I'm in love, you know, I'm mad in love with you and our little uh, other baby girl. I said, I just, who am I? Who's Elka? I'm a mom, a new mom again. I'm a wife. I, yeah, I work in media, but who am I? And I actually realized it, it had all come down to I lost having just that one hour to myself a day. And uh, I remember Thomas, and, and this is this is not normal, this response. But when you have got two elite athletes living together, there are yeah. some great pros. He looked at me and he was very blunt and direct, and he said, well, you're the only one that can change it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, which is like, you know, if a girlfriend said that, you'd want to, you know, slap her going, yeah, thanks for the sympathy. No, no. But there's so much truth in it. And often we try to overcomplicate answers by writing a million books or theses where it's like, you know, it's the same with a million different diets out there now, the paleo, the Atkins, the 5.2, The you know, nothing beats, good sleep, lots of water, healthy food, healthy exercise. Like we, we, we've tried to overcomplicate a world um, with too many choices. And he was so true. So what, what did I do to answer your question? What was my first step? I acknowledged the fact. And I started waking up at 5 a.m. every morning which people go, oh, but that's what I needed for me and my family so then I could get back for that breastfeed, so then I could be back and be mum, and I would either go for a really light walk or I would take myself down to a coffee shop and sit in the silence, listen to the bird's chirp, watch the sunrise and just have a moment so that no matter what, there was never a moment of complaining or grumbling is like I just got an hour of free headspace to myself I got to be Elker again um, and that was massive and that wasn't just it didn't just change like that I think when you don't know who you are you certainly walk through a season of that and it's some people really recluse others are open and share some are overly share <laughs> on social media um, so we all deal with it in different ways the thing that I would I would say if this helps anyone listening to it in this moment right now is be wise with how you choose to deal with that deal with it. And when I say wise, there's there's a lot of knowledge out there at the moment and that is you know information, but wisdom is is making that right decision in the right time, having the right women around you, having the right friends, having the right person to talk to, and not feeling like you need to need to tell everyone. You know, you can let that phone ring. That's Mm. what a mobile is for. You answer it when you want to and you don't when you don't. Never feel like you need to have an excuse when you have children. Sorry, I didn't ring you back straight away. It's like, oh, you know, I've been doing ballet. Don't apologise. What a gift it is to have children. You ring when, when that time is right for you because if you don't get yourself right as a woman, you're never going to be able to give the best of yourself to everybody else. Mm.
0: Have there been some of those connections where you've maybe had to let go because of they haven't been the right, obviously without naming names or getting into, but they haven't been the right people and, and I think giving ourselves permission to do that? Uh, dude, That's so funny. I've actually been walking through that this year.
1: Where I've almost, okay, I'll go out with her again, I'll go out with her again and I leave and I just, every time I get in the car I either question myself or I feel flat or it's like, you know, you meet those people and it's like, the best way I can explain it is it's like an electric socket that's just been pulled out and you've just lost your, your energy and your happiness and you... You feel heavy. You feel burdened down. Um, yeah, I, this year more than any. I've just had to be very intentional with my time. And I, I think in life you've kind of got two, two types of people. You've got self-giving and self-serving. And, you know, I, I call a, a self-serving person someone that just, you know, they purely want to help themselves. So every time you meet them, there's there's that other drama or something going on or there's no, there's, it's never, it's never a two-way. Um, it's not encouraging. It's not supporting. It's not lifting you up. So I kind of have this and I, I'm very open about it. I talk about it as well, this three-strike rule, I call it. So, you and I meet for the first time today, Ali, and you know, you might be having a really bad day. That's cool. We, we all have them. I meet you the second time, you know, a couple months later. Again, you're having a really bad day and you know, you're just off. And I'm thinking, mm. well, one of my favorite quotes is you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I think that's okay. Again, I just could have caught her off guard, you know? Third time, if you're like that, for me, it's like, okay. Do you know what? Yeah. My time is really precious, as is everyone's. Um, and you know, she doesn't want to open up. Maybe we're not connecting, or maybe this is just her. But I, as brutal as it sounds, you you want to be around positive, uplifting people because a negative person can bring you down and if you have a collective group of women like that all the time those same women that bag out their husbands or bag out other women it's like before you know it like birds of a feather flock together. So you don't need to say hey Ali guess what just wanted to let you know I'm not hanging out with you anymore. Like <laughs> You're that, on strike too just saying. And, <laughs> and don't you think Don't you think that's the hardest thing now as we get yeah. older as women in kindy it's like if we're not playing together it's you're like dropped. I'll say to you yeah you're dropped or I don't want to play with you and you're like okay cool it's yeah. not like that now. Yeah. It's like you know you have to let the phone calls you know ring out a little bit longer or maybe not return a phone call or change that lunch that you and I were going to have to maybe just a coffee. It's like, you know, I've given her three chances and it, what happens if it's going to be a heavy conversation again? So um, I have given myself permission to do that. And I think one of the biggest things that I'm still constantly learning and, and a lot of people is it's all right that not everybody is going to like you and that you're not going to like everybody as well. You know, it's some people you just naturally connect with.
0: Yeah, I think it's finding those uh, those times, as you say, it comes back to time being so, so precious and setting those really clear boundaries about, yeah, what is it that I want to be absorbing and having having more of in mm. my life? Mm. So one of the things you have stepped into, having stepped away from the black line and the pool, is is uh, embracing the media and, and actually kind of launching a bit of a career in that space. What attracted you to, to stepping into the media kind of spotlight?
1: People often say that life is a you know life, life is people. You know, life is about people. and I'm like, everyone says that like as if they're this champion. I'm like, no, but I, I totally disagree with that. Life is about relationships. That's the core crux of it. You know, everything we're talking about today comes down to relationships. And being on TV, well, what a what a gift that, you have the chance and ability to talk to thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And if there is that one person on the receiving end that you light up their life with or you give them that one sentence or that hope, that glimmer of hope, then you've made a difference and what a, what a great opportunity that is. I... Um, all my, I think some of your biggest achievements in life. I find the people that blow the whistle out loud and put it all over social media. It's maybe that's what they need to to get them to go to that next step. I've always found that the things I'm most proud of or achieved of, I've, I've kept very close to my chest. So two years before I actually retired, I started working for free for for Foxtel because I wanted to learn the ropes and I wanted to show them that I was committed, that it was nothing to do with money. I just, this is what the space I wanted to get into. So I started dabbling into media in 2004 so that when 2006 came, I was ready to make the, the smooth transition, so pre- preparation. And um, it's funny because every Olympics now since Fox, the bosses have always come back to me and and, and asked me if I, if I could, you know, commentate for them and obviously be paid for it because obviously the groundwork that had been put in beforehand. So... What do I love about Media Alley? I love the fact that it is it really is the closest I can get to competing at the Olympics again. It's I do live TV, which I just love. Although I'll tell you the funniest story. I uh, The first time I ever did Sunrise with Channel 7, my first question ever on the job was, Elka, do you think politicians lie? <laughs> and I just thought, on the spot, this is live. Can we bring you back to swimming? Yeah, I can't be like, can you just pause for a minute? Yeah. It's not like 60 minutes where I could be like, and we'll take an ad break and yeah. be right back. You know, I was like, wow, so you're, you're thrusted there in the spotlight. They'll what throw did you, you do? Questions. What was your response? I, you know, I tried to be as, as direct and as diplomatic If you can be both in one, you know, I said, well, tell me somebody in life who doesn't lie. You know, I think politicians come out with, with, you know, all of these policies and sometimes they really want to push them through and other times I'll bend the truth. What what is the truth? You know, we've got black, white and grey these days. So that was really interesting. And so, you know, even choosing when I retired who I was going to give my exclusive retirement story to, I chose Channel 7 on Sunrise, you know, and that's who I've ended up working with. So so great things have come about from it. I love the media because um, I I still find media can be quite a dark place. It can be quite superficial. It can be quite insincere. um, And I, I hope to shine light on that and be authentic and sincere and and really reach and really reach people. And I think that's the, the great power in media if you're doing it the right way. It can also be, you know, misused as well.
0: Have you had uh, moments of doubt in that space? Because when you're in the media, obviously a big part of it is about you do have to put yourself out there. You And we know as women we get judged on the way that we look, how mm-hmm. we're kind of perceived, what, what outfit we're wearing <laughs> on that particular day. Um how have you have you had those doubts around who am i anyway and how have you dealt with that
1: absolutely you get you get lots from your hair is frizzy to my beautiful 90-year-old grandma rings me out and tells me not to wear red lipstick because the only old ladies wear red lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can laugh at that when it's a 92-year-old. Uh, oh, you get some interesting comments. And that's what social media is these days. I think it's still an unanswered question. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It is giving people who might, whose opinions might not be valid, but it's giving them a voice. And so people can hide behind a screen now and go, oh, you know, your book was rotten or your book was amazing, you know. And But if you say them, well, hey, let's have a coffee and talk about it, they'd be the first to like either not show up or not respond. Yeah, absolutely. There's been cracking times in what are we now? Like eight years has been doing media. And I will honestly say probably the first four years, one of my biggest prayers every year would be like, God, you know, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing still? You know, like, give me a sign, like let a job come up or, you know, a great ambassador, partnership come up. And I think I had that moment of really, is this what I'm meant to be doing? Probably, honestly, for I'd say the first five years, um, many doubts, many tears, even, uh, you know, I can honestly say really bad decisions of things. I said, yes, so yeah, sure, I'll do this. Or, um, you know, whereas now I can say that sometimes in life, you know, we're told, go for it, just say yes to everything you have more value and purpose in who you are of the things you choose to say no to more than you say yes to. So now I I have the liberty and the freedom and and also I guess the security in knowing who I am now of saying, no, this reality TV show is not for me or, yeah, that's great, Celebrity Apprentice got lots of money but, no, I know the way that you guys operate and it works behind the scenes and, no, I'm not going to do that. And often when you say that, they you know, they can see there's actual intentional, well, she knows where she wants to go. Is that a muscle, saying no? Does it take practice to be able to say that? Yeah, with I, absolutely. I think the first few times are hard. I mean, even last week, something great came through through with my management team in, for a really very, very well-known brand, but it was something I would never put in my children's lunchbox. So it doesn't matter what, you know, what the price might be on it. It's like, Would I put this in my children's no? And what I want I want to be known as being, you know, my yes be yes and my no be no. And I always say to my husband, if someone offered me a billion dollars to front a, you know, me being on billboards everywhere smoking a cigarette you know, my husband, is a funny, he'd look, yeah, but you could save a country with a billion dollars. And
0: Just think about I'd it. I said, but I'd be selling my soul. And it goes
1: back to, you know, you're doing it all again for money, but it's, not, you know, it's you have to believe in what you're doing. Yeah. Exactly why you're starting this as well. You've got to believe in why you're doing it. Yeah. So clearly
0: faith is a big driver in what you do and, and who you are and, and, and the way that you live your life. Has that uh, faith always been part of your
1: life? Yeah, my my mum actually grew up Jewish, was Jewish, and my dad is Christian. So they they um, were amazing, and they they taught us both. There was never a blah blah, you know, uh, which is which was wonderful. They and they've been very open, and you know, you choose your path. Um, and I, you know, Sunday school around fifteen, you know, you drift away from church. You got better things to do. You got boys and the mall and the weekend shopping stuff. And then I actually remember running into a friend at twenty three. So what I can clearly say with that, between the ages of 18 and 23, which was actually some of my most successful swimming, I can say now comfortably at my age that I did not like the person who I was at all, completely different to who I am now. And I ran into a, a boy that I was captain with at school who was very Christian orientated and faith orientated, and he chose to take a different path and as he was closing up one day at KSC, a group of people came in to ask to use the bathroom. And when they came out, they held a gun to his head. And before they pulled the trigger, he said the last thought that went through his head was, would God have been happy with the way I live my life? And that just hit me so hard because where I was at that moment in my life, I was, yeah, kind of believe, not really. I was very self-serving. Um Average teenager, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, but I was yeah. twenty two. You know, yeah, like yeah, now, yeah. and I think maybe I'm harder on myself. But yeah. I just thought, ah, oh, there was just no wisdom about me. There had to be more, and that's what I think a lot of people think. What was my purpose? And um, so I walked myself back into church, and I've never, I've never left. And that's where my purpose comes from, knowing who I am in in Jesus, um, knowing what my yeses and my no's are. And knowing that every, that every single person in life has a gift and has a talent, we all do. There's no one here by accident or by mistake. And I love to encourage. That's just, I love lifting, I love lifting people up because you see so many incredible women who are gorgeous and beautiful and they've just been around the wrong people. And I just want to shake them and go, you are amazing because you really, really are.
0: Obviously, that passion is a, is a big driver behind your current venture, which is Queenhood. Tell me a little bit about Queenhood.
1: Well, yeah, you and I were just having a, a talk off air before, weren't we? It's exciting mm. when you, you, you're you so passionate for for the space of women and, and growing them and talking real topics. I, this has been in my heart since 2012. I remember being in the shower in, in 2015 in September and I thought, what am I going to call this? You know, three years later, again, huge fear and doubt of never starting it. One day, I was saying to my husband, I'm going to do podcasts, I'm going to do books. I'm going to, Tom must to be, well, so when are you going to start it? When are you going to start it? And you know, as women, we find, we're always fine. Stop nagging me. Exactly. <laughs> well, just out we just had our baby. We just had our third baby. Right. Babe, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and doing this, and doing this. But at some point, we also need to step up and go, increase your capacity, yeah. enlarge in your tent. Let's just make this happen. Um, and I remember our pastor saying something super great to my husband. He said, if you want to be a king, you can't hang around court gestures. And I thought that about a woman. If we want to be a queen, if you want to be around someone that doesn't talk behind your back, that cares for you and doesn't compare, that lifts you up, that supports you, but that also tells you the truth. Ali, nah, might not agree with this, but this is where you're really good at. I want to be around queens. I want to be around women that are wiser than me. I want to give time to things that I believe in. Um, I want to be intentional with my time. I want to be intentional about who we let into our family home so that when they're meeting our children, they're just not dismissing them, but they're going down to their eye level and they're talking to them. And so I looked at this and I realised kind of between the age of 30 and 50, there are a lot of women who have walked through what I have and so many women are walking through it now of how do you do the juggle without the struggle? what's my identity and stop saying I'm just a mum or my husband works and, you know, I just look after the house. It's like, no, no, you're so much more than that. So I launched at the beginning of September online content and also been running events because I love that's where I work. That's my space of, of, you know, being right there with women, talking to them, acknowledging their name uh, and getting any... Every woman has a, an incredible story to share and I have no no there's no celebrity status to it. There's none of that. And and that's the biggest disappointment. You're seeing all these magazines, Who's Most 25 Most Beautiful Women. I mean, look at you, you're yeah. rolling your eyes. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh, not beautiful. No, they're well, there's no, no story behind it's, it. it. It's celebs, it's, but what is celebrities? Yeah. It's a person who is recognised for doing something that a talent was given to them. Uh, you know, I, I want to share real women, women who are really struggling in marriage right now. Women who, you know, behind doors are walking out like, hey, everything's really great. It's like it's okay to say you're not okay. But having enough wisdom to talk about it on the right right forum Mm -hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, really powerful and absolutely the conversations we need to have in the space. And this is exactly what
1: you're doing, which is awesome. Like credit to you for for starting this, for getting great women talking real topics like your amazing book, Stand Out, got given a copy today, can't wait to read it tonight. (laughs) That's a leap of faith for you because you have two young children as well. What was your driving, I'm going to do this?
0: Yeah. What was it? Oh, look... God love you. Um, this is
1: my podcast. <laughs> no, but people want to hear this. This is your it's podcast. The, exactly. Yeah, you the are the driver. It's space
0: is what it is. It's that safe space to say me too, that I've been through that too. I've got those doubts too. It's that safe space to go, I really want to have an ambition. I really want to step up, but I'm not sure how to do that. Um, and often we get told to do less, like, you know, just chill out. Mm-hmm. We're so busy, just do less. And I don't think doing less is actually the answer. I think it's about doing the thing that, and knowing who you are and stepping up into that space. So high-five us, for <laughs> I mean, yeah. creating those spaces and having those conversations. And and I think it's just showing up anyway, even when we're not sure, when we have no idea where this is going to go. In that uncertainty, it's just showing up. Oh, perfectly put. Yep, just show up. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to put it to you then. What are some of the things that you're struggling with at the moment and when you look ahead um, for the end of this year, early next year, what's what's some of those uncertainties that you can see ahead? That yeah, oh, how am I going to do that?
1: Well, I, I really I, I'm doing as much groundwork as I can now. So we got we got a new little bubble coming in ten weeks, number four. So before under six. So I actually am trying to build as much content and organize as much as I can until March, and then I haven't looked beyond March. And you know we're, what are we? We're November now, end of November. So that sometimes I have moments of. Oh my gosh! Then what? Like then what? How am I going to do this? How am I? What have the thoughts been going through my head? How am I going to keep keep this amazing business? You know that is that is growing and building with momentum and followers, all of that. How am I going to keep moving it forward? But I know that God put that dream inside my heart, so I, I'm just I'm not going to allow it to fail. But in saying that, I'm not going to let anything else. Um, that is so important, falter. For example, my, our second son, he starts school next year. No matter what, I'm going to be there for that first day. That is, that's at the end of the day, you know, my husband and my children are everything. So I guess the answer to that question is we, we sit down at the beginning of every month, Thomas and I, and um, we block eight days off for our family. People often say, I don't have time, or it's like, well, what are your priorities? Show me your weekly schedule show me where you put your time and money and then I'll tell you what your values are. It's big and that's a really direct. But I remember someone doing that to us a few years ago and then we wrote it all out and looked and we were like, "Oh my gosh." It's confronting. Isn't totally. it? totally. It's the same when people go I, I don't I don't use social media a lot, you know, I'm, I'm on my iPad, my phone, my TV maybe 10 minutes a day. I'm like, "Okay, great. Time's up by 7." Seven. That's 70 minutes. Like that's an hour or you know, there's there's so many different ways you can look at it. So we basically sit down and we prioritize so that Family will always be first, absolutely. So then if, if you get in touch with me and you say, hey, can you do this? And I look at that day and that day is blocked out or that night, I'll say, hey, Ali, thanks so much. I'm actually committed that day. And that's how I answer it. It takes a lot of guts for somebody to write back going, Really? What are you committed to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, that's happened once. Yeah. And I thought, good on them for actually pushing it. Yeah. And I said, uh, right now I'm spending some time with my family. As soon as you say that, it shuts down. No one's ever going to come back and go, oh, really? Brush that. But it also can convict that person. Wow, good on her for having the guts to say she needs to. They can think whatever they want. They can think maybe I'm having trouble in my marriage or whatever. My... I really wouldn't. It wouldn't bother you me. You know what I find? I actually think what it does
0: is it gives people permission to do the same for themselves.
1: Oh, and that's it's what like I'm hoping you're to. to. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) It does. So that's that first priority. So that just makes a world of difference. A a big non-negotiable. I think also sitting down and having your non-negotiables. So, you know, when you answer that question, you've asked that question, what are my biggest struggles is making sure I stick to my non-negotiables. What are yours? Exactly. So um, every Friday night I have date night with Thomas. Every Friday night. Uh, you know, obviously, apart from if I'm, you know, one of us is sick, or but we will always just the two of us do something on a Friday night. The second question people ask yeah, but how, who do you get to look after the kids? Or well, that must be expensive. Great question. Sometimes our parents, other times we'll have a great a great babysitter. But, you know, if we're only doing it two hours, that's where we've chosen to invest money for two hours for us to have time together. It doesn't mean we're always going out, spending hundreds of dollars of dinner. We've gone bowling together. We've walked around the block together. We've gone to the gym together. That's one thing I really miss, you know, going working out with my husband. Um, little things like that because I remember when we had our first child, the midwife looked at us. She'd had six children, happily married for 40 years. So she, she had authority about what. What she was saying and she passed us our, our first baby girl and she said to me and Thomas this child will change your life forever but remember this it was always you and Thomas first and that was so powerful so um, you know, my marriage flourishes because I I put time time into it. Doesn't mean to say the last nine years have been totally roses, but Thomas Thomas is my best friend. So it's making sure that I don't um, waver at all on my non-negotiables. The time with the children as well, and then also exactly what we were talking about before. Then having the guts to go, oh, I really want to go to this that Ali's putting on, but I promised just going, sometimes we, we can't do everything and that's okay. We have 86,400 seconds in a day. We just have to use them the best way we can. Yeah. Coming
0: back to that for you. Yeah. So the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Love it. When I give that term to you, what does it mean for you to live a standout life?
1: To be different, to choose the road less travelled. Everyone always goes right, go left. To To soar And to follow and unleash your full potential.
0: Elka, it's been such a delight to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, thank you. You probably heard my tummy rubble (laughs) halfway through the baby. It was like, I was like, how embarrassing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it.